Hi, I'm Heather Knight, and this is the Surviving to Thriving podcast. One in four women will experience severe physical violence by an intimate partner in their lifetime. We're going to discuss the taboo topic of domestic violence and the tools our thrivers have used to succeed in life. We want you to know that you are not alone in this fight. Please keep listening if you or anyone you know has been impacted by domestic violence. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to thank our sponsor, Night Protection Services for making this podcast possible and all the support they provide our cause. And I was like, get out, get out. And I just, I pushed him out. I locked the door and there was like a back, we had like, like a backyard or whatever. So he was like in the backyard and he had access to get out. I threw his wallet outside. I locked the door and I went and had Thanksgiving and it was literally the best Thanksgiving I've ever had. Like just hanging out with my cousin, hanging out with my brother. Um, This is my older brother who I'm I really like look up to and he's had a lot of challenges himself and he's just an overachiever and very mellow and very is able to deal with like conflict in a really good way. And so just went there and spent time with my family. We decided to skip out on going to the the rest of the family's house. And we just stayed with my cousin, his wife, her daughter, and my brother. And um, later that evening, my brother came, I was like scared to go home because I didn't know what was waiting. I had turned off my phone. I didn't know what was waiting for me. And so my brother's like, I'll come with you, you know, no problem. He was visiting from Northern California. So he came and he stayed with me and I turn on my phone and I have a message. Sorry. I have a message from a really good friend from the Navy. And we had this like group of people that we all came in together. And my friend Katie had been battling cancer and she died that night. She died on Thanksgiving. And the last time I talked to her, she had told me like the, her and her husband that, you know, I knew as well had broken up and she was like, it's okay. Like, she's like, I love him, but it, our relationship was always a square peg in a round hole. She's like, and that's what it seems like with Hatem. You do, you deserve more. You deserve more. You deserve to be happy. You deserve to be loved. She's like, you are so defeated. You are, you are just surviving. You are not living. And I was like, I love you, Katie. And those were like our last words. And then when I heard that she was dying, all I could hear is that surviving, surviving, surviving. And I, and I realized I, I just wasn't living anymore. And, I, and that was the end. He never lived with me again. And we never were together again. That night I got him, he came into the house. And I, I kind of knew that it was over. Like I, I walked out into the living room and he was sitting in the, there with my brother and he was like, oh, what happened? Cause you know, I'm emotional and I'm crying. I was like, Katie died. And he was like, oh, like, no, like, wow. no, like hug, no, nothing. no, nothing. And I was like, he doesn't fucking love me. Like there is right. no love there. And I was like, um, Hatem, I'm going to need you to move out. Like this isn't working for me and I'm not happy. And so I bought him a plane ticket to Thousand Oaks, LA area where he had a friend and, and he, he left. That was November, 2014. I still continued to pay for his cell phone. That was the only expense that I was covering. And every once in a while he would call and ask, but he did his own thing. And I, he eventually, I think moved back to Vegas. And then before, you know, so I needed to file taxes for that year. There was a vast difference of filing married filing separately and married filing together. And so I contacted him. I was like, Hey, I need your social so that I can, you know, file taxes. It's going to save me like three. I mean, it was like $3,000. I would, you know, difference. And he was like, Nope, not giving it to you. 
he's like, I don't know what you do with my social. You're going to create fraud. You're going to do all this. And I'm like, I just need to file taxes. I have supported you for five years. Like, give me this information. And then no, no, no. And then his dad got sick and I gave him like a hundred dollars towards his flight to go home to Tunis. So we started talking a little bit. I was like, and then he kept on saying, oh, I'll I'll give it to you tomorrow. Inshallah tomorrow. Oh, I forgot it at home. I'll give it to you tomorrow. And I'm, so it's coming up to our tax day, which is ironically our wedding anniversary. And it was just, just, I just need it. So finally he told me, I'm not fucking ever going to give it to you. You're shit out of luck and you just need to deal with your, yourself. So I filed, I ended up paying, like, I think it was like $2,700 and you know, he, his dad passes, he comes back to the States and I had done a road trip. So in my eyes, we were separated and we weren't together. And I did a, I did a road trip across the U S visiting old friends and just trying to reconnect with who I was before. And he, he was, you know, in Tunisia, I didn't know he was coming back or, or anything. And then I get like a notification that the cell phone number that he was using because I had blocked it. Was that, I'm like trying to see if that, that it was, it was turned on again. And I was like, Oh crap. You know, like he's back in the States. And I, at that point I was driving through Las Vegas, coming back to California at the end of my road trip. And I was like started like, you know, having like a little bit of a panic attack. Like, and I just was like, I Vegas was like this doomsday place for me because it's where in the U S in my country, like a lot of the abuse, you know, like happened. So it's ironic that I moved back here, but so I was like, okay, you know, I call him and I'm like, why are you using my phone? He's like, Oh, I thought you turned it on for me. I'm back in the U S and I'm like, no, I didn't turn it back on for you. And then I kind of let it go. I was in August timeframe of 2015, I was diagnosed with um, breast cancer, just a very low stage one A. And at that point, you know, I was just like, I am done. Like this just, I need an end to this. Like this, it's just going on and on and on. And I need to focus on me. And I think that's where the strength started. I think that is where I started realizing who I was and all that I have accomplished and that I was more than this. And so I, I filed for divorce. We had, I tried to file in Tunisia and then I sent him like $1,500. He never processed it. I filed in um, Riverside, California, which is where I was leaving, living. And we did like, you know, agree the, like, whatever it's called when you agree to the divorce, he canceled it. And so I lost the filing fee. And so finally, like he was living in Vegas and I was like, we're doing it. And Vegas has a really easy like divorce process. Like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So it was like, I was like, it could be a month and we're done. Like, you know, this is behind me. And so I contact him and I'm like, I'm going to come and I want you to sign these papers and we're going to file them together at the courthouse. And, and he was like, no, no, no. I was like, I have fucking cancer and you are the last thing on my fucking mind. And I will end this and, and you're going to fucking listen to me. Yeah. And so I don't know if he had just a stroke of niceness. My best friend came out to Vegas with me and we did like a girl's night and then met him in the morning. And it was just a very awkward like meeting. And, and it just showed me how much more I knew about him than he knew about me in, in a way like caretaking or, or whatever. So we sat at the restaurant and he was like, oh, I don't know what to order. 
And I, and I was like, you're, you want a coffee in here? We'll get you some eggs. And you know what I mean? Like, and I ordered him. He was like, Oh, he's like, you know me so well. And I'm like, because I fuck, you know, like I paid attention. Like that's what you're right. supposed to do. And we got along really great. And I had went, then we, I took him to T-Mobile. Cause I was like, you need to get your own line. And he was like, okay, one more month, you know, and then I will take it over myself. And we were friendly and he was trying to get convince me to buy him an iPhone and he would pay me monthly. And I was like, yeah, no, that's not yeah. happening. I'm sorry. Yeah. And then, but it was like, Michelle, my best friend was like, you guys are very weird for the scenario that you have been in. And now all of a sudden you guys are laughing and talking and, and all of this. I left, went back to, to California, filed the, you know, the papers are filed. It got, they got approved and it was like September or something. And so I contacted, I was like, well, I need, you know, we're divorced. I will come as soon as I can to give you a copy. Cause that was like one of my legal requirements. I had to give him a copy of the divorce. So when I can fit it into my schedule, I'll go down there. So, you know, I think we planned, I, I came out in November. I had a friend who had, who, or currently she's really struggling right now, but terminal cancer. And I wanted to come and see her and she lived in Vegas. And so I came out and visited her and we went out and did karaoke and blah, blah, blah. And um, my plan was to meet Hatem in the morning to give him the papers and then go home. So we went out and did carrot till like three o'clock in the morning. And so of course I didn't wake up till 11 and I call him in and immediately that tone came back and he was like, and the, the deal was I was going to give him the divorce papers. We were going to go to the notary. He was going to have me sign a notarized letter that I wouldn't use his um, social security number for fraud. He was going to give me a social so that I could refile my taxes. That was, that was my plan. So around noon, I pick him up and immediately something is off. And I don't know if he was on some sort of drugs or, or, or what have you, but he's very harsh, very, very like the, the person that I spent my time with. So we go, we go to the, the notary office. I write the letter. He signs it. I pay for it and I give it to him. And then all of a sudden he's like, I have to go to the bat. Like we were going to go to the courthouse to get a copy of the divorce degree. It was like going from North Las Vegas to like, like central Vegas. So there was a little bit of like distance, you know, probably like 15, 20 minutes with traffic. And then he's like, I got to work and I don't have time to do this. And I got to poop. And I was like, okay, let's go to the restaurant. You can go to the bathroom. Like, you know me better. I don't poop, you know, and like just this big blow up. And so we're, we're in the car and I, and I reverse and he jumps out of the car door. And I was like, what the? Yeah. Like what the hell is going on? And then like, I get back into this, like, I don't, I don't know what mode it was, but I like chase him down in the car. And I was like, what is going on? You know, and he still hasn't given me that social security number. And so I was like determined to like get it. Cause I wanted that $3,000 back. And he was just agitated and weird and not, didn't want me knowing where he lived. And there was all of these, like, and then, you know, I call my friend Tondra who had been in a, an abusive relationship before as well. And she was like, let it go. Just let it go. Walk away. Yeah. And I, I called T-Mobile. I turned off his phone. I, and I never saw, I never saw him again or, or spoke to him directly. I mailed um, the divorce degree to his friend that was in thousand, thousand Oaks, California, and mm -hmm. told him he needed to handle getting, getting it to him. And I started trying to live again. I finished up the next school year. I, I had some struggles. I think there just wasn't, 
I had to find me again. And one of the ways that I did, I was always very athletic growing up. I got into OCR races. So through like that brief stint that I had with cancer and realizing that I have another chance at living this life again. I did my first OCR race. It was a Spartan in in Temecula, California. And I did it on my son's um, birthday in 2016. And I felt like accomplished after that, you know, like I felt, you know, like, you know, there was big, scary obstacles and stuff and strength and all of this. And it made me feel good about myself. And then through doing the Spartan races, I started meeting other people and I ended up getting like really invested in this Tough Mudder community, which is another OCR. And that's actually how I met Amber is through the Tough Mudder world. So I started doing the the Tough Mudder events and I started meeting people and having a social life and, you know, just finding out. And then, you know, like work definitely wasn't going where I needed to be. I was like, I'm going to get out of teaching and I want to do something else. And so um, financially and emotionally, and then, you know, issues with my mom started coming up. I was living in uh, my mom's house at this time through like all of the drama. And my mom went to my work and gave me a 60 day notice to like move out. And there was, and I was just felt very um, violated. Like, like she should have been able to have a conversation with me. And I was kind of at the bottom of my barrel and I felt that, you know, she just made it worse. And so our relationship really hasn't been much of the same since. And I struggle with that daily, but I, I kind of learned that I, it doesn't matter who you are. If you're going to bring negativity or toxicity into my life or emotionals, then I don't have a place for you. And that has been a really big step in my like recovery or, or emotional forwardness that I just, I don't look at my connection with you. I look at how you make me feel. And so, you know, I, I ended up going through the, you know, doing all these, I mean, I did in my first year, I did like 25 OCR events. It was like every weekend and going here and going here. And I learned that they had this 24 hour event and that was on the, my one year cancer free day. And I felt like it was just going to be this monumental, like just, you know, emotional, like coming through, being stronger, doing something that I wouldn't think I would normally do. Tough Mudder found out about my story. I ended up being on having CBS Sports follow me through this um, journey and training and, and all of this. And then I met this guy named Matty Gregg, which is, he had worked for Apple and he's a, just an amazing, amazing guy through doing a lot of different charities and helping and giving. And, you know, he just, it's one of those people that made it in life, but didn't forget to help others. And he was doing this fundraiser for St. Baldrick's where uh, you basically, you know, raise money and you shave your head. And we, CBS found out about it and we decided that we were going to do it at the start line of WTM. And so I, that was part of the show is uh, me shaving my head along with all the rest of the racers. And one of the guy who actually won the race, uh, Ryan Atkins, he was Uh also shaving his head. So, you know, we did this like experience and I did the race and, you know, had camera crews following me a lot of emotions and being out there by yourself and just having like, you know, being up and that delirium that you get for being awake for 24 hours really helped me like process a lot of, you know, why I did some of the things that I did. And, you know, and, you know, and that really helped me like catapult me into when I did some therapy 
and learning a little bit about myself more. But I think that really was kind of that, that turning point right after the, the world's, you know, my, it was like my, my personal life, not necessarily love or any of that. Like, I just felt, I just didn't really need that. My personal life, my spiritual life, my feeling whole again was all kind of, and the only piece that was really missing was my work, you know, which has never been like the case. My work had always been like at the top. And a few months after I ended up taking and through meeting Amber, we had did a, a, a Tough Mudder event in Colorado and I had drove to Vegas and flew out of Vegas and then came back to Amber's house. She was like, why don't you just move to Vegas? You know, and I looked and I found a job and it was in Vegas and I called on it and they were like, can you come in and interview? And I was like, okay. But I only had race gear. Like, am I going to interview in my spandex? You know, like, you know, nobody needs to see that outside of a race course. So she let me have some like outfit of hers, like, you know, (laughs) And I went in in her outfit and interviewed and got offered the job and I took the job and I have been in um, Vegas like ever since I, I moved back, started and, um, and things just kind of felt and through Tough Mudder. Um, I also met another guy named Kenny and he just had gotten engaged. His wife had a house in Summerlin, which was the best neighborhood as far yeah. as high schools. Cause I'd always promised my son, cause we had always gone all over that in high school, we would stay in the same place so we could go to the same school. Yeah. So it was in Summerlin and the school that I wanted him to go to. So I moved and, you know, I didn't have to go through all of those, like, you know, renter, you know, like the pause, blah, blah, blah. You know, right. like his wife, Kristen, Kristen was amazing. And I, I just like, I moved in and started my, my, my life and job was going good and working on myself. And, you know, I think that was, I've been in Vegas. This is my third year teaching in Vegas. Again, I taught one year before and like everything has just like gone up. I've stepped away more from the OCR world to kind of just, you know, work on myself. I bought a house last October. And so, you know, things have just, I don't know, been good. That's awesome. I think that your story is amazing. And I think that what you have done, you have finally stood up and, and you, you did what was best for yourself and you use the strength of people around you, which is a lot of what our guests have talked about is like, finding that strength in other people around right. you to bring out your own strength. And then you went and you did something for yourself after all yeah. of that. And, and I it's think, great. I think one of the things that, you know, when you look back, I can't tell you how many people said, you need to leave him. You need to leave him. Right. But, and I think if I have one message and I have obviously reached out and, you know, my story has kind of been out there and some people have contacted me that I don't know or, or, or what have you. Uh-huh. And my, my message is never, but is you can't leave until you're ready. Right. There has to be that breaking point. And no matter. And so if you have a friend going through it, don't be the person always saying you have to leave. Say when you're ready, I am here for you. Right. When you're ready, I'm here from you. And it's okay not to leave. It's okay to be in the scenario because leaving literally was the hardest thing I had to do because leaving meant that I had to face everything. I had to admit that I was in a domestic violence marriage. I had to process the shame, the guilt, the, you know, like it was the most difficult thing that I've ever had to do. And even, even now, like it's still, there's still a, a stigma of shame, you know, that you feel. And so my, my words that I always try to tell people is that you need to have an exit plan. 
So you might not be ready today, but you need to know what you're going to do when that day comes that you're ready. Where money, start saving some money. Where, you know, who are, you know, like open up a separate account, put some money in it, you know, have a go bag, have, you know, you know, if you have children, what are you going to do? And like, think through those process of when you get that strength of what you're going to do. Right. Um, exactly. Because I don't think that I could have left any sooner and been finally done than the day that I did, you know, and I yeah. look back and I, you know, and then sometimes there's like, I should have left them in Abu Dhabi or I should have, but there was a reason, you know, and I, there was a reason why everything happened the way um, it did. And I think now I don't necessarily feel the guilt. And I remember doing a, my first like paper article and it's on the Tough Mudder blog. So you can Google my name and, and pull it up. And I, I kept saying that I was ashamed of doing this or I was ashamed of doing it. And I'm not necessarily ashamed. I, I realize now that those were the building blocks that I needed to get to where I am today. I had to go through that process and I had to do it my way. So we hosted a German exchange student and he had been with us since July. And just actually this weekend, he's no longer um, with us. And it kind of got to the point where there was an incident that happened and I'm not going to get into too much details, but basically I wasn't able to trust him again and that I wasn't going to live like that. You know, I've, I'd lived for so many years with not having my home as my sanctuary or my happy place or, or, or whatever. And, you know, this, you know, being that this is my new home and, you know, something that I worked hard for after he kind of violated some trust and wasn't very remorseful, I ended up having to have him um, leave. And it was a very hard decision because normally I put other people's needs and emotions ahead of my own. Right. And it just kind of came down to us is that I deserve to have a place that I'm happy. And that place, you know, sometimes obviously it can't be work <laughs> and that needs to be my home. I need to be um, secure. And it was, it was a very big kind of like step for me to say, okay, I'm, unfortunately you can't be here anymore because you're not one, sorry for what you did. And two, you know, I've got to put myself and my son first and what you did kind of made me concerned about having him be alone with my child. Um, yeah. So, so anyways, he, we moved on and I, not that I, I might still host. There's actually some two girls that are looking for a family right now that had a medical issue with a, their previous home fit. So they might be coming to stay with me. So I'm excited about that. And then the other, I think what I was wanting to kind of get into is like that process or that knowing when it's ready to date. When I first uh, left my husband, I got myself into a really serious relationship and it was a previous, it was with somebody that I had been with and he was kind of always like my guy best friend and I wasn't ready. Like I wasn't ready. I hadn't healed my issues. I hadn't, I didn't even dealt with my issues. And so that obviously didn't end end well. And I think more so on his part than on on mine. He was, you know, ex-military and PTSD. And and then our two issues just didn't clash together. So I took, on, you know, some years off. And just recently, this um, last year, started dating again. And, you know, unfortunately, I don't have the time to do it naturally or whatever, meeting at a bar. Da, 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 da. Right. <laughs> so it's like you do the dating apps. and And the thing I think that is been helpful for me is just trusting that, that instinct. You know, if you get a queasy feeling, then, then it's not worth it. Like, you know, just end it right there. I also make sure that I'm sharing my location with at least one or two friends. If I go to do a meetup, 
so that they know, you know, where I am or, you know, who I'm with. I screenshot their, their profile and send it to them just so that, you know, if anything does happen, I do have somebody else, you know, because a lot of times, you know, like after the date, if it didn't go well, they'll delete it or or something like that. So, so, you know, just having a lot of security uh, measures kind of in place and, and just trusting your gut instinct. You know, I've, I've had to get up and excuse myself to go to the bathroom and then just, you know, walk out just because things just didn't feel right. And I think it's a whole nother ball game because I'm dating in Las Vegas and, um, (laughs) and that's a whole nother like issue in itself. You know, (laughs) I've had, you know, but it's, it's, it, I try to take it as, you know, comical and, you know, when there, you know, it's a lot of times it's the first question, what are you looking for? And I'm not looking to jump into a long term. I'm looking to, you know, get to know somebody. And so it's kind of, those are kind of questions. It's a little bit difficult to, to field. Um, What steps did you take to go from that, you know, you got into a serious relationship, realized you shouldn't have been in that and you were Mm -hmm. ready. And then now you're here. What was the in-between stages? Like, what are some things that women can do? When I could talk about what happened to me without crying. Yeah. And like a general conversation. And I think, you know, when you drug drug up all of the stuff, it's sometimes it's hard to not get emotional, especially like having this interview or or what have you, because it, you know, you go in a little bit deeper, but when I could, could admit that I was in a domestic violence marriage and it wasn't something that like tears started flowing. And then, you know, it kind of started with like, you know, just a, you know, I got myself really involved in that OCR community and then starting hanging out with guys as guy friends. Right. And that was okay, you know, for a while. And I think it was when I felt I was healed and not necessarily, and I don't necessarily know if I'll ever be fully healed or this is always going to be, you know, something that my baggage or a part of who I am, but I, I can recognize it, but I think you have to give yourself the time. I, I see a lot of friends that I know or people that have come to me and, you know, they're a few months out of a domestic violence relationship and wanting to jump back in. It's not going to work. Unfortunately, maybe you meet the person, you know, that's good or would be good. But if you're not prepared yourself, if you haven't put in that work, if you haven't learned to be alone and learn to love yourself then you're not going to be able to love anyone else. And uh, that was a really hard um, and difficult lesson, you know, because here, you know, I feel like I'm getting older. I'm, I just got some notification today that in 160 some days that I'm going to be 44. I was like, I didn't ask for this notification. (laughs) Why are you giving it to me? (laughs) So, you know, I like, I'm getting older and I feel, you know, and the fact that I have a 17 year old and, well, he probably won't be moving out, you know, when he's 18, but that is still that fact that yes, he could possibly be. And then what do I do? Like, you know, then I'm alone. Like I never thought of myself, you know, being alone. And so there was that pressure that, you know, like I need to meet somebody or I need to do that. But in all actuality, I realized that I'm happy by myself. I'm happy with the really good friends, you know, that I have made and the connections and friends that have became family. And I have nieces and nephews that I can spoil. And so just looking, not needing somebody, but wanting somebody, you know, I, I think that for so long, I thought that I needed somebody to fulfill me or to complete me or to, you know, like showing up, you know, but I've, I've been, I'm able to go, I went out to a, really nice steak um, dinner by myself. 
and that took a lot. Like it was it. And, and I've gone to the movies by myself and, you know, just learning to be alone. It was a, that was a really big step. Cause I always felt that the insecurity that I needed somebody to make me fit in or belong or desired. And I and, think that a lot of people deal with that. I mean, even if you haven't been through a domestic violence situation, the stigma of going to a restaurant alone is, you know, built up so much in our society that people are afraid to just be okay with doing their own thing. And I think that it's an unhealthy societal norm that we've perpetuated over the years. Right. Oh, it was definitely very uncomfortable. Like I think the movies was okay. Cause it's dark and you go in there and I, that was the first thing I did, you know, by myself. And I kind of made a list of things that I would be uncomfortable with, like, to doing by myself yeah. and I just kind of like did a checklist and like, okay, I did that. Okay. I did that, you know, and being in a nice restaurant was definitely on the very uncomfortable side and, but it was nice. And I chatted up with the wait waiter and enjoyed a really good uh, meal. Unfortunately I had to pay for it myself, but <laughs> I missed that part of having somebody there. Right. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that style uh, dating is that what they call it, where everybody pays for their own meal? Oh, the is it like Dutch Dutch dating or yeah, yeah, I, think or, I don't know. I think so. Yeah, I don't know. So, but you said that you are online dating, which is the norm today, and a lot of what we teach in our self defense classes and in our lifestyle learning classes is how to safely date online. Do you have any tips that you use that you can kind of give um, women that are listening? Well, I think, you know, obviously being safe and, and letting people know, like I said, let, letting people know where you are, um, who you're going out with, you know, and I ask some key questions prior to the meetup and have those list of list of the requirements of, you know, know where they, they are in their lives. No, you know, I, I ask about their previous relationships. I asked about what happened. Are you still friends with an ex, you know, and how they treat or talk about somebody that they used to be in love with that kind of gives me a symbol of like who they are and, you know, just kind of meet, not meet, not obviously not inviting them over to your house. You know, I think I get a lot of that. Well, just come over. I'm going to come over and give you a massage. I'm like, no, that's okay. I, I have a service. I can call for that. If I want somebody to give me a massage, definitely don't need you. Um, So making sure that you're meeting in a casual environment. I think I like doing coffee or happy hour because that can all, you know, you can cut that short if you need to be without being um, overly rude. And just, I, I think the biggest thing is knowing, knowing them. I always ask for a last name if I'm going to meet up with somebody. And then, you know, I do do the stalker thing and I will Google you and make sure that, you know, there's no, no issues and check, you know, I mean, I think it's extra secure because, you know, where I'm in at um, Vegas is not necessarily known for the most outstanding, like, <laughs> right. places, you know, and you get a lot of transient people. And so people will try to act like they are from Vegas and they're really, they're not. Yeah. Um, so just trying to, you know, prevent that on my end. But and I think a I lot think of people trusting who are your gut, to... like if you're uncomfortable, it's, it's okay to leave. You don't have to sit through a meal or through a dinner, just thank him for his time. You know, if you feel like you need to put some money down, put some money down and walk out. Or if you're uncomfortable doing that, just, you know, excuse yourself to the bathroom and then just continue on. You don't have, I think that was in the beginning when I first started dating, like I was like, you know, this is, 
the one thing I know about this meeting is I don't want to spend the rest of my life with you. You know, like, and when you get that feeling, it's okay to just stand up and, 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 and go and be, and be okay with it. You know, and I also don't think that you should invest too much time chatting back and forth. Like if he's not going to meet you within a week, it's, it's probably ends up one of those scenarios where they just want to pen pal. And, you know, it does take a lot of time and a lot of energy to, you know, file through all of these different guys, just, you know, kind of put like your guidelines, like, okay, ask the questions, get the answers. If they, they mesh with your ability or, or what you want in your life, then, then move it, you know, move it forward. And if you have to say, Hey, do you want to meet for coffee tomorrow? Go ahead and offer that. Cause a lot of times the the guys are just as nervous about asking or going to forward. So if you, you know, being confident and saying, would you like to meet for coffee and given a time, you know, I'm available for this time in between these hours. And I think I have been really, really good with, as far as like setting per- parameters, like the, this is my time that I'm available, you know, and making them come to me instead of me going to them. When I go, I think when I find myself when I like them a little bit more than they like me is when I kind of get myself into trouble emotionally. And so I try to, you know, prevent that from happening. Right. Well, and it goes back to the whole needing versus wanting a man. Right. You know, if you're ready to date, if you truly not, not thinking you're ready to date, but if you are truly ready to date, you'll take the time to sift through all of the guys that you know, are, are there and you, you'll take the time to set these boundaries and your, your guidelines and ask your questions. And I think that'll be like the, the safest way for women to start dating again that have been through a domestic violence situation. Yeah, I, I definitely, I, I agree. And I think that you have to give yourself time to heal. And, you know, we, I think we want to like share our lives or we're so used to that needing somebody, but just, just, just heal, just learn to love yourself. Um, is, I think that would probably be my biggest, you know, advice is, is that putting in that work and truly knowing who you are and what you want. Uh, because if you don't identify those things prior to going into a relationship, it can get haywire just like it did before. Yes, definitely. Tiffany, is there anything that we have not covered in this interview that you think is really important for women to hear? I think that we really covered, you know, a lot. I think that, you know, things that I would like to to lead with or to end with um, is is it's okay. It's okay not to, it's okay not to leave. It's okay to it's okay to stay until you're ready to leave. And because if you I think one of the things as I kept on like halfway leaving, halfway leaving, halfway leaving, and then that guilt. And had I just kind of allowed myself to process the, how the transition was going to be in the, in the first place, I could have probably left a lot sooner than I did, but I did things a lot of out of rash, but then I was still emotionally attached. And then the other, I think is is that there is life after domestic violence and it's good and it's great. And you can be happy again and you can wake up smiling every day and you can have a better relationship with your kids. And you are not, there is nothing wrong with you for being in the scenario that you were in. It's hard. It is emotional. And it's probably the hardest thing you're ever going to have to do is to leave, but it is so worth it. Definitely. 
Well, we ask our guests these same questions every time as we wrap up. So I'm going to get into those. The first one is, what would the new you say to the old you? Oh, the new me is, you. I think you don't need a man to complete you. That is good. And I think that it rings true to all women, whether they have been through uh, a traumatic relationship or not. You know, that, that yeah. finding yourself and being okay with yourself is more important than having a man in your life. Yeah, sure. I think there's a stigma, especially for us single moms who, you know, have that uncomfortability of walking around with just your kid. And that, you know, and a lot of it for me was, you know, Hatem being there made us look like we were a family. And it made me feel more secure about myself and not, and that people weren't judging me for the choices that I made. What is something that you do that you can also recommend to our listeners that helps you through a tough situation, whether it's like meditation or hiking or some, whatever you, you do? Definitely. I have one spot that I go running, Lone Mountain. And if I'm having a real like hot mess of a day or emotions come on strong or a scenario happens, I just go and I run no matter what time it is. If it's at night, I put a headlamp on and I just go. It's a relatively safe area. Hiking, getting involved with finding people with like interest and, you know, having that person, you know, be it a friend or whatever to call. I was definitely lucky with this Tough Mudder um, environment. And that definitely helped me get through a lot of the scenarios that were playing in my head during that time. Awesome. And then what is a book, podcast, ebook? Uh, quote anything that you kind of live by. What is that one with um, something? It and it has fuck in it, and that's why I should. I'm like, where's my phone so I can look at my, yeah. my book? Go for um, it. And I know I had actually got this from from Amber. The art of not giving a fuck. Right? Is that that's what it's called? I think the book. And, yeah, the yeah. book, and it's um, just you know, kind of listening and learning to not care so much about what other people think. And so that really, I just kind of took a lot of lessons from that. And I, last year I had a really, like a really long drive um, to work and I would get stuck in traffic on the way home. And so I did it as an audio book, like every day. And I, you know, just took those tidbits um, of information. And then just, I also read Myrna Valero um, has, has a book out and I can't think of the name, but she's a body positive athlete and just kind of, you know, her journey through you know, accepting herself and still being an athlete and people and getting accepted into the community of athletes was really a powerful read as well. Awesome. And then finally, where can our listeners uh, find you and reach out to you if they want to hear more about you? If you don't want um, to, I'll ha- have them delete that question. If you do, <laughs> I'll have them delete this section right here. <laughs> you know, I, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, it's a TIFFS thing. And you know, really, I, I love reach, connecting with people and, and, and sharing my story and, and trying to make a difference and just kind of building a community um, of women. I'm here locally in Vegas. If everyone wanted to, if anyone's, you know, come, everyone comes to Vegas at some point. Right. So <laughs> it's, it's a TIFF thing. I-T-S-A-F-F. Um, is it bad that I have to open up my, my Instagram to, to see how not I actually at all. it? <laughs> not at all. Uh-oh. Wait. And I just got a new phone, so it's so now I'm like, um, how do I do this? Is it yellow? Did I see that? 
It is. It's the yellow iPhone. Isn't that what? cute? They brought back the yellow. I remember when they had the colored iPhones. Like they did. They have a purple now too, but I don't know. I was I was thinking that this was ugly and no one would want to steal it. <laughs> um, so it's ITS underscore A underscore Tiff underscore thing. Awesome. All right, Tiffany, thank you so much for coming on the show. We have awesome content and I'm excited to release this episode. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. If you or anyone you know has been victimized by domestic violence, please reach out to us for resources and ways our organization can help you. You can find us on social media at 2thrivingatl, T-O, thriving, A-T-L, or online at 2thriving.org.